Hi, listeners. Before we get to the episode, we want to take a moment to address the June 24th Supreme Court decision to overturn Roe v. Wade. This decision stripped away the legal right to have a safe and legal abortion. Restricting access to comprehensive reproductive care, including abortion, threatens the health and independence of all Americans. This decision could also lead to the loss of other rights. To learn more about what you can do to help, go to podvoices.help. We encourage you to speak up, take care, and spread the word. Hello there, my name is Jenny Vasquez Newsom, and I am the guest host of season two of Mission Megaphone, a podcast production of Growth Network Podcast. In this season of Mission Megaphone, we are amplifying the overlooked leadership experiences and expertise of leaders of color. These conversations will challenge traditional notions of leadership and disrupt the status quo by centering the skill, ingenuity, and capabilities of impactful BIPOC-identifying leaders from across industries. And I am excited for my guest today, Cedric Rogers, who is a legacy entrepreneur, investor, and technologist. Cedric is the co-founder and CEO of Culture Genesis, which is a media tech company that remixes digital technology for authentic urban culture and entertainment. Culture Genesis owns and operates All Deaf Digital, which is now the largest Black-owned digital media publisher and network with a community of over 20 million. Big stuff, Cedric. I'm so excited to kind of dig into leadership, career, entrepreneurship, everything with you, because I think you just probably are going to bring so much richness to how we think about leadership, particularly given the work that you do. So excited to dig in. Thanks for being here. Thank you so much, Jenny, for having me. Uh, it's an honor to be here with my co-founder's spouse, who is keeping us all in line. So uh, thank you so much for this uh, opportunity. Awesome. Well, I figured we could just start pretty broadly. Tell us a little bit more about what you do. And I, I, I know you do a lot, but how would you describe what you do in your day-to-day? As you mentioned in the intro, I'm a, kind of a legacy entrepreneur. You know, I grew up in Houston, Texas. My family, my father was kind of a math major. Mom was, you know, as well as marketing. And they started in the whole working for other people. But when I was born, wanted to actually have their own businesses. So funny enough, my parents actually opened up a child care center. That was the first business uh, that they opened up. And it was actually so my mom could, you know, be able to take care of me and not have to worry about child care for me. So yeah. I kind of feel like I'm the catalyst of entrepreneurship for my family. But, you know, they were able to scale up and have multiple locations. And my dad was actually also able to get into investment. And it was through those experiences watching them and really planted a seed in me to want to be an entrepreneur. I always knew that's what I wanted, but I also was a technologist at heart too. And so I majored in electrical engineering at North Carolina t State University. And then I wound up really matriculating out to Apple. I mean, it's where I spent the majority of my career working with them, developing, started as a system engineer for the education division. And, and this was back in 2003. So this is when Apple wasn't Apple that we know of today. And I was actually there to witness such amazing growth in a company and hear from and even engage with probably one of the most dynamic leaders in especially the tech business and Steve Jobs, not to be actually undermined by current CEO now, Tim Cook. I actually had a chance to work with Tim very intimately on a couple of projects. And then of course, Steve as well. I, I always was one person, even then at Apple, wanted to be what I call a lot of times an entrepreneur, entrepreneur, excuse me, where you're in the organization, but you're still very entrepreneurial minded and really going after projects. And so that really was one of those things that I did there and it put me on their radar and allowed me to actually work on some really cool projects while I was at Apple. 
And so much so that they helped me to go after my MBA at Emory University in Atlanta, in Atlanta, Georgia. And so I started to learn some of these leadership skills and I hopefully been deployed uh, at an organization. With those experiences at Apple and learning a lot of things that we, I can share more about today, I really kind of build up a footprint of kind of how I, I want to work with my co-founder, Sean, and the rest of our team. And, you know, so when it comes to what I do daily, daily, it's interesting because, you know, when you're building a startup, it's fast paced. You and your team and co-founder, especially, are doing a little bit of everything, you know, especially very early on. I don't really look at anyone working for me. And I, and Sean, my co-founder, is the same way. We look at everyone as partners in what we're building. And we try to really empower them to help make decisions, to help us build and believe in, in what we're doing. And uh, what we're doing is very special because we are building, as you mentioned before, we are the largest Black-owned publisher and digital network. We actually have our own brand in all dev digital, which was originally founded by Russell Simmons back in 2013. We've been able to take it, grow it, and expand it. Alongside of that, actually adding on more creators, Latino and African-American creators especially. So what that does now is we have this large community. I didn't update my numbers to you. You said 20 million, that's over 30 million, but we have a billion impressions that we see a month. <laughs> and so what we're doing is we're going to media agencies and we're representing this entire you know, network and allowing them to literally target our audience and engage with our audience authentically. And that's very powerful because it allows them to have a chance to reach people that they will otherwise would not reach at, at a large scale. So with that, you know, what we spend a lot of time doing, Sean and myself, Sean really kind of takes a lot of the working directly on the delivery of those ads across our network, working with our sales and our ad ops team. I, on the other hand, work a lot of times with our, you know, all devs team to really kind of continue to keep our own and operated channels and content moving. And we both really work on a lot of the business development side of things. We're often talking to key partners from, you know, investors, which is a big part of, you know, startup. There's always uh, the, the challenge of pitching and raising capital to now other strategic partners that make sense to help us continue to scale the network. So that's really the majority of our time. A lot of phone calls, a lot of emails, <laughs> just keeping up with everyone. But that's generally what I do and how I got here initially. Yeah, well, I appreciate you sharing from that origin, like really thinking about like just familial lived, the experiences that we have when we're young, how they can like inform the trajectory and just inform what you bring into your capacity as a leader, it really starts way back. <laughs> it definitely, definitely does. When you think about, I mean, because you've had such a storied career at Apple, kind of starting in the startup ecosystem and, and doing this work to really benefit the culture on a much grander scale. What have been like some critical moments in your leadership journey that like feel like turning points or feel like, you know, they really have struck and, and created this trajectory yeah, for you? That's a great question. Well, there's like several, as you would imagine. Yeah. Um, I think the first, when it comes to pure leadership, it started with me really in college. I pledged a fraternity. I was actually the chapter president, became the regional president. And it was a big opportunity to learn how to manage your peers. I didn't do the best always, but I did a fairly good job because they kept me in the role. <laughs> but I learned a lot about managing ego even then that has really been 
a constant thread from then till now. And I went into Apple really learning a lot from Steve Jobs and where he led. He was such a visionary and he never wanted the organization to rest on its laurels. He was just always, you know, focusing on how we would always say, how can you look around corners and see where things were headed, how to be, and he focused on innovation. He focused on uh, being focused. He used to tell us to be focused. It's about saying no to a lot of good things. So you can say yes to the great things. And I felt like that's something that Sean and I do a lot in Culture Genesis now, because there's a lot of things that come our way, but we do prioritize. And so that experience from so from college to Apple and Steve and hearing a lot of how I was able to approach even him as a leader and, and to directly email him. I used to do things that nature, which would drive everyone in our organization crazy. Cause of course, like, what are you doing? Emailing the CEO. But I just had ideas and I was young and I didn't know any better and <laughs> it paid off. And so that was one thing that I took from very early, right. Is the passion and this, you know, idea of, really believing your ideas and presenting them to the, to the highest level you can. Um, so that's one thing I've carried my entire career. Then leaving out of Apple, like I said, I went and finished my MBA in 2012 and I left Apple in 2013. And, you know, Emory University is a great institution and I loved it so much because it's founded based on Roberto Guzueta, Cuban-American, led Coca-Cola, and we were very much thinking about South America and, and it was an international program. Mm. And what happened for me there was I already knew that Apple was tapping into culture, but I also learned at Emory about how to think about all of the underserved and underrepresented communities and how to market to them, how to reach them. Out. And so that really was a big kind of nugget I took from there. One of my actual cohort members, his name is uh, Andrew McCaskill. He was a senior vice president of Nielsen for marketing. And so we would talk all the time and we would talk about like targeting Asian women and Latin women and black women and talking about how those groups dictate consumer behavior in America. And we, it was just all those kind of thoughts, you know, and I wasn't, I wasn't thinking that way until I came into that experience and it changed how I saw like building business, how to really monetize, right? And really reach and, and help people. So that was Emory. So then left there, and then I got two more. I left there and I got into the startup world and I created my first startup, which is called you know, Prism, which was really focused on youth. It was focused on black and Latino kids and giving them exposure to who someone like you would be, Jenny. Like they don't know what they don't know. They don't realize all the roles and all the opportunities. Oftentimes in those communities, particularly they only see entertainment as an option right. where there's so many other things in life. So I started that and I saw that impact that I was making and I knew it felt good, but I wasn't making any money though. <laughs> so, <laughs> so, so with that, I said, okay, I like this feeling of doing good, but I got to make money doing it. <laughs> so, so I left that experience with that. And I think the next two, which are the last two, I think, which is, I created another startup with an entrepreneur named Paul Judge, serial entrepreneur, very successful. And I knew I wanted to learn from him and I wanted to kind of get deeper and better understand how to raise capital and just do a lot of things that you have to learn as a startup entrepreneur. And then we went through the Y Combinator, which is, you know, the Harvard of, of these accelerators for startups. And so I was able to get a lot of experience there. But the thing that I learned most there is that, that ego thing again. Because we had a small team, a bunch of guys, a lot of ego. 
I had to go back to some of what I learned when I was in college. And some of those things served me well and some of them didn't. But to the point where I, I learned a little bit more about how important co-founders were. And then that it, it really kind of supplanted what I knew. I said, if I do this startup thing again, I got to get a really good co-founder that had emotional intelligence that, you know, really had a clear value proposition to the organization that I did. So then I run into your husband, Sean. <laughs> so, so what's been cool about partnering with Sean, you know, as you know, he's a super brilliant guy. We both are technical, but he runs in a totally different lane than I do, which is great so that we can have the give and takes of understanding how we think, but then also bringing that ultimate value to organization. And then what we're doing today is we're doing the part that I love most is that we're making good money and we're helping people in our community. We're really helping entrepreneurs that are in the creator economy. We're helping them make two to three times more than they would make if they were not in our network. And so we know we're really helping small entrepreneurs, right? We're helping them really monetize their content. And so with that, it just feels good to know that we're doing, we're growing. We've gotten through a lot of the hardest parts of building this, this particular entity. And now we're really in a place where I think we can gain some, some massive scale. Uh, we grew our business, as you probably already know, of course, 275% in revenue growth from last year to the, from, excuse me, 2021 to 2022. And here in 2023, we'll double that, you know, that's what we're forecasting. So with that, it's very exciting times, but those are experiences that I think I'll laid out pretty clearly that have led me to where I am today. Which I always appreciate. Like there's like this puzzle piece, you know, that the only way to get to now is through the puzzling on the way there, you know, like all these different varied experiences that actually create our present capacity to create something to build and to do so in complement with others. Like no one person can achieve on their own, I would say. Correct. <laughs> and I'll also say, I'll also say that I left Apple in 2013 and this year, 2023. So there's no such thing as overnight success. It takes roughly 10 years for most of us to get to that mark. And I'm just happy to be right on time. You know, I'm, I'm excited about that fact. So yeah. 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 That's right. So having that moment of kind of reflecting on this trajectory, this journey, and, and really sitting in this conversation around leadership, like what leadership is, mm -hmm. how would you define it for yourself? Like, how do you define leadership? I mean, to me, leadership is, a, and I learned this from several people, so I can't say I came up with this, but leadership, true leadership is serving others. It's when you are thinking about those people who are taking a risk on the idea, the vision that you have along with them and coming alongside you. And, you know, they have family, they have friends, and they're risking it all to go with you. You as a leader have to be always thinking about how can you serve them best and how can you be available to them? Because if they're happy, it's like they always say a happy wife is a happy life. So, you know, it's the same thing with your organization. Like if your team, you can really be available to make sure they have everything they need, that they understand truly what the vision is and the resources are there to go after, then you are really accomplishing to me the ultimate goal of a leader. Because when, you, when you're thinking about being a servant leader, what happens oftentimes then is that your emotional intelligence goes way high. You're, you're thinking about every individual and their individual concerns and needs. Everyone is not the same. But then you, you ultimately have this vision that you need to maintain, though, which is a part of leadership that is most responsible for, from my perspective, right? It's, it's really 
you know, being servant leader and maintaining that vision and staying focused on that vision and not allowing, allowing, you know, distractions in to come in to that. You know, I think that's the hardest part, especially for startup, because you're so new and young and you're trying to really figure out your way. So you're kind of even trying to figure out what is that exact thing. But when you get a, a really good sense of the North Star and you're on it, you can't let people push you off of it, including Funny enough, it comes from investors telling you, oh, you should do this, you should do that. And you get, you know, other partners and everyone thinks they have the best idea, but you got to really believe in yourself and stay true to the vision. I think those are two things that really kind of embody, you know, leadership for me. Yeah. How do you operationalize that? Because that's hard. (laughs) That's complex. Like, you know, servant leadership, but then also North Star stakeholder management, but also all of the things. Like, how? what does this look like? How do you actually do this? Well, I feel like, to me, one I've learned is that reading, first of all, I should just throw this randomly out here, is like reading and looking at other leaders who have done this, right? Mm. I think that is the thing that I have made it a priority to read about those who have been, especially in the industry that I'm in, and what mm. challenges they faced, decisions they made, and then thinking about, okay, how to center myself every morning. So for me now, Jenny, it's a whole process now. I've read a couple books, The 5 a.m. Club. I read uh, The Miracle Morning and just all these different books that really talk about getting up early and centering yourself. And, you know, with meditation and prayer and journaling and those things that help you have that clear, clear mind, right? And to keep that vision first and foremost, right? And, and then from there to operationalize it, it's a, of course, dead communication. But I think of the whole big, you know, skill set. I think also needs to be written down when you think about good leaders or good communicators. But being able to say, okay, now that I have this vision, having a good partner has helped me tremendously. First person I call, you know, it's not my mother. It's actually usually your husband. <laughs> I usually call him. He'll tell you. I usually ping him around 10 a.m. I used to think that you told me otherwise, but I said, oh, he's not, I had to give him time with his family. So I'm going to give him till 10 a.m. But you telling me he was actually asleep. So that's a whole nother conversation. But at any rate. <laughs> that's another podcast. <laughs> I, I, <laughs> that's another podcast. But I try to check in with him daily, you know, about kind of what I'm thinking. He, he had both for idea people. So it's really cool that we usually in the morning kind of throw ideas back and forth, throw what we're thinking. And then we kind of talk about like what we feel like we need to kind of accomplish, right? And then from there, you know, from that call, I prioritize my day, who I'm going to call, who I need to follow up with from our team and then outside of our team. I think the key for that too is when you come to talk about the team, I learned that operational rhythm is a big thing. I didn't even know what it meant until I was at Apple, but one of my uh, managers taught me that. It's like, you know, you want your team to just be able to count on certain things to happen as, you know, rain, sleet, or shine, right? And it doesn't have to be a lot, but it needs to be certain key things that it just happen. So as an example, Sean and I don't like to have a bunch of meetings with our team, but what we do is we do have certain key meetings that we have every month and it just comes second week, the Tuesday of the second week of the month, we're having a team meeting, right? It's happening. And I don't even put it on their calendars that way. I don't tell them that way. But if they took time and look back over the last six months, they'd be like, wait a minute, the second two, the second Tuesday of every month, he's actually has a meeting. But those are the kinds of things that I try to put in place to build consistency and rhythm for us as a team that then operationalizes that vision 
to come down to them, right? And how we break that down and we communicate. Uh, another thing I think, you know, Sean and I are really good at is being very transparent. I think we both experienced leaders sometimes that didn't tell you everything or kind of kept you in the dark. And some, like, we're not that way. We're very, very transparent, which I think sometimes scares people because <laughs> we, we just tell them everything. Because you're not always used to that, but that's how we operate. We're very direct and transparent because we, we want people to know what they're getting involved with, right? And we don't really feel like we have anything that we should be hiding from them. So that's the way we, at least I, I say we because we, we operate and lead together. But, you know, that's, I think, the ways in which it has been trickling down to organization and, and even amongst each other that has worked, you know. I would say that. Those are all some of the very key things. I'm sure there's other things, of course, that I'm missing, but those are the, the, the larger things. Yeah. No, thanks for unpacking that because I think that's mm -hmm. why it's always so complex, you know? If you think about this work, like, it, it's not it's not easy. And so what are the strategies to to try to, to do that work? Um, you mentioned something, you know, around transparency and kind of having experiences that there is lack of transparency or whatnot. When you think about your definitions of leadership and how you exercise and view leadership, what are or have there been kind of situations, scenarios, environments where that has been inhibited, like that's been hard to to exercise? Um, and if there's any, you know, spaces that that's been promoted, uh, what what has that been like? So really kind of reflecting on where you've been able to lead in the way that you see is most effective. Yeah, I feel like I will just speak about most recent experiences because I think it's a days and night and day. Like I mentioned, the previous startup that I had that went through Y Combinator, you know, we had almost really too many chiefs in that scenario to where I had a vision and we had an ultimate vision that we all I think pretty much kind of share, but then people had different ways of thoughts about how to get there. And, but yet I was a CEO, so I had the responsibility of leading the team. So therefore, to your point, I felt a little handcuffed, right? I was mm. trying to do certain things and it felt like certain things were undermined, you know, when I was trying to like really put in these kind of operational rhythm kind of opportunities for the organization and to really uh, lead. And I think that was something I walked away from saying I never want to do again because at that point I would rather just follow instead of being in a, in a bad leadership position, right? I, would, I mean, because I don't have a problem following in the right, you know, if it's a great idea, a great organization, what I'm going out there for what else we'd achieve. I think what's been different for me with the current startup we have, uh, Culture Genesis, work with Sean, is that we've been able to both lead and kind of partnership. It's almost like a husband and wife kind of scenario where it's like you're both leading in, in partnership and you're kind of segmenting the areas in which you feel like you both kind of can add the most value but you're not in a place where you're not sharing in those things too, right? You know, there's, we don't really allow ego to get much in the way. And I feel like that's the key thing for me. Uh, I will say that in a lot of these organizations, there have been a lot of men. So it's, you can get a lot of ego sometimes. And that's been the thing that has inhibited uh, some of the opportunities for growth. But yes, yeah, so I, that is a key for me, Denny, when I think about where I am now. I've been free to um, kind of exercise and then also allow my my partner to do the same. And it's allowed us to really move fast. We have accomplished a lot in a very short period of time. And when you have two smart people, like this really got a really good opportunity to figure things out. I think I'll put us in a room with anyone um, and figure out 
figure our way out of it, you know, and think our way out of it. And I think that's very, very important when you know you can sit in a room and really give yourself enough time, you can get to the right answers. And when you do that, it does build faith between the two partners too. And then of course, your the people that are in your organization, it gives them faith. When you tell them a year in advance, like, hey, this is where we're going to go. This is why we think this is the right move. And then you actually build and get there. And then you actually either meet or exceed your goals. It, it brings faith from people, right? They start to say, oh, these guys know what they're talking about. They're, they're pretty smart, you know? And uh, I think that's what's started to happen for us, right? We came into this, especially at 2019, when we acquired all deaf, people didn't think we knew what we were doing. We didn't know if we knew what we were doing, but we knew what we had. We had some thoughts and some vision. And we've iterated our way to what we know now 100% is a business that's going to scale and, and be very successful. So, Yeah, I actually want to ask you, particularly in your experience as a Black entrepreneur and knowing that, you know, I think mm. just on a macro level, you know, the lack of funding that tends to go to Black mm. entrepreneurs, to entrepreneurs of color, of really, how have you navigated that landscape. Have you experienced that reality as you've been building the business? <laughs> the yes. <laughs> yes, we have. And then what do you do as a result? Like, how do you lead through that? The conditions are different right. than the conditions for others. You know, what What do you do? I mean, I, I would say sometimes I, I, I tease Sean, you know, I say we, we've been getting it out of the mud, right? We are literally, we've been running a lot in LA, so there's a lot of mud around here. And that's what we've been doing, you know, candidly, the ecosystem of startup and the way funding works, unfortunately, it's not kind to people of color, especially women of color and women in general to raise capital. It is a definitely a frat boy kind of program going on, right? They, they, they give money to people who look like them. And even though their ideas aren't as good or they're not as well qualified, they still get the capital that people that look like you and me should receive because we have better ideas and we know what we're talking about and we have uh, a chance to scale something massively if given the right resources. So we haven't received our fair share of funding. You know, I could candidly say if Sean and I were two white guys doing what we've done and the kind of growth we've had on our business, we would raise all kinds of money. And you look at what's happening in society, which is actually unfortunate but it's actually good too though because it's washing out a lot of these uh, inflated valued startups who receive capital that didn't really have a good business plan or a good business or a product and weren't good leaders they're being washed away because now the economy has gotten tight investors aren't going to fund those those as freely as they once had in the past and people like us who hadn't received funding are still executing at a high level and, you know, yeah. continue to grow. And our value is being grown over time. And we can, we continue to keep the value for ourselves. So Bob Johnson recently announced he's investing in our business, right? Becoming an, a strategic advisor. Yeah. And what's interesting is that even he, when he started BET back in the seventies, only raised a, sh a small amount of money, but he did receive this money from a wealthy white man named Job Malone. Mm -hmm. And he was able to take that investment and scale up BET to what it became. And he was the first black billionaire. And to me, his case study is the exact case study that exists 
all of us if we were given the resources that Bob talks about this all the time. And I think, you know, Sean and I are very fortunate that we've been able to be so smart. I, I, I don't say this to be arrogant, but I think we really are smart guys and we've really thought our way through what would have broken maybe other lesser people, right? That have, may not have been able to kind of, you know, really cut their way to where we are. Now our conversation is different. Our revenue is high. We can get loans. We can do all the other kinds of things that we could not have done, could not have done back in 2018 when we first started. So with that, yes, we have definitely not received our fair share of investor capital. We received some. And I would say the sum that we did receive is because Sean is an engineer. He's a software engineer. I'm an electrical engineer. So there's some like really hard things that we, we bring value to where they did give us a little, but nowhere near the amount that two engineers should have been able to raise in a tech space. But I say that, that I don't, in hindsight, when I look back on it, I do believe that the universe and God have a greater plan for us and that we're probably going to have a very wealthy return because of the fact that we didn't bring on so many investors. And so we'll, we'll, we'll benefit from it. So it'll be great in that regard. But it was not, it has not been easy. And it could have been so much easier if we would have had the right resources. But yeah, and I, and I, feel, I feel for entrepreneurs who have received less than us, right? Because like I said, we have received a little bit of funding. We, we, we did get early seed capital from Mucker Capital here in Los Angeles and Betaworks in New York. So we are fortunate to have those early investors. But, you know, there's some entrepreneurs who have great ideas that are not getting the funding they should get. And it's unfortunate because there's great ideas, there's great leaders that are able to really emerge because of that. Yeah. Thank you for speaking to that. I just wanted to explore your experiences, particularly because, in, in, again, you know, in the tech space and the startup space, underrepresentation is one thing. I don't think it's really it. It's like marginalization and just, you know, access. They say it's a meritocracy in tech. And, you know, the idea of it all you want as a tech entrepreneur, you want to believe that, but it's not. In, in true form and practice, not a meritocracy. It is definitely uh, money is being allocated. Like, you know, honestly, we've seen people with lesser ideas than what we're doing get capital that we were not able to receive and have gone out of business. And so it's clear the numbers are there. It's just, Still, when you're pitching an investor and you sit down at a table or just across a Zoom, you know, there's has to be a point where they're just going to believe in you. They have to believe in you because the numbers are so small. Like it's, it's just getting started. In some cases, there are no numbers at all. It's just a vision. And they have to believe in that person. And, you know, honestly, they just look at, for our times, I feel like they look across the table and they're like, I just don't believe in that person the way I would believe in another person that looks a little different than them. And that's, the essence of what's happening, you know, and and I think, like I said, it, it's it's one of the things that happens to every you know person of color, and especially I think women. Even it's a double it's the double issue for women, right? It's you know for me as a black man, but for black women in tech, it's even worse, you know. So that kind of connects me to my next question because I think there there is a common misperception of what makes for a good healthy startup, a good founder, or you know, they, I think there's a misperception there going in a direction that is usually not in favor of those quote unquote underrepresented. From your standpoint, what are some common misperceptions around leadership in itself that may be informing this as well? Like, what would you say when you think about that? I'll say this is a great question. I would say that the, the real thing is funny is that 
the same thing that I just spoke about, about how like, you know, Sean and I had to think our way through, we had to be very scrappy. That's what every startup entrepreneur actually has to have that skill set, right? They have to do that. I don't care. Even the ones that are funded, even with funding, you still are not as well resourced as other major corporations. So you got to really be thrifty and crafty and, 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 and just efficient. And what's interesting is that when you think of like two or three categories, one, people come from underprivileged backgrounds or less resources are already accustomed to making something out of nothing, right? We already know how to do that. Already know how to go into the kitchen and whip up something out of some scraps and make it into a meal. That's what happens in the underrepresented communities. I don't care if it's Latino, Asian, African-American, on and on and on, across multiple groups. They know how to do that. People whose parents are immigrants, they come from another country. They know how to be scrappy and figure it out and, and build something. And so when you think of that, if I was a, which I want to be long-term as an investor on this other side of the table, that's the people I'm looking for. I'm looking for those people that show me that they have done that in their life in some form or fashion. And then let me double tap on that. I am very biased towards women in business. I always have been. My mom has been, like I mentioned to you, was very successful in business. I believe women are the epitome of that. When you think about who actually knows how to multitask the best, and, you know, and I'm being very general, I know that. But when you think of great multitaskers, you think about great communicators, you think about having emotional intelligence, you think about all the key aspects you want in a leader, women really bring that to bear. Most do. And so you talk about where these venture capitalists and investors are missing the ball. They're missing those skill sets that are innate to great leaders and not realizing that these individuals have them and can therefore create some of the best and most successful businesses. So I do think that is kind of, I think, where your essence of your question, which is we really should be looking at those skill sets. And this podcast is great because talking about them and uncovering those skill sets and then saying, well, who really does have those and how can we duplicate that in everyone? We won't ever want to be a great leader. But then also when these women or these people from underrepresented communities are coming to the forefront, you know, they got a, a great opportunity to, to be able to build something special. And I always want to say the key phrase that I learned from Paul Judge, he's always saying, you got to build something from nothing when you're a startup entrepreneur. You're starting from zero. And so you got to sometimes think people who get know how to get out of mud can really help you build something pretty great. Right. Yeah. I think that just thinking about your trajectory with Culture Genesis, all deaf and having to get quote unquote out of the mud in that process, you're creating like an airtight business that wasn't afforded the cushions of, of other entities. And yet that actually makes a better business in, in, in a sense. So I, I appreciate that kind of reflection and the connection to experiences outside of what is traditionally looked to for as expertise as, you know, all those things. I mean, I think there is, of course, something to be said about, you know, MBA and then some of these skill sets around business foundations, but there's so much more. Yeah. You know, the hard skills of reading a balance sheet or a PNL or, you know, knowing how to code or those are hard skills. I get, but they're still always going to be very necessary to be successful too. But the thing that takes this, because like you said, there's a very fine margin of error. This is like for all startups, let alone those that are not even well-resourced. You got to have 
those soft skills too, though. You know, they come alongside it. They, they call them soft skills, but those leadership skills that really make the difference and that can help you pull out um, and, and exceed uh, and really build a great business. Reflecting on our conversation, thinking about this idea of quote unquote untapped leadership, which is really where I'm focusing uh, on for anyone listening to this and listening to your story, what are one or two things that folks should do or should consider when kind of uncovering untapped leadership, untapped potential, either within themselves or amongst others? Um, and regardless of how you identify, um, how can we all do this? What would you say? Yeah, you know, I feel like Steve Jobs was a, such a great leader. He had some bad leadership quality too. Let's be clear. Mm -hmm. He learned to soften them off over, over the time because that's why he got kicked out of his company the first time, right? He wasn't always the best. Uh, HR had some challenges, I think, with him early on in his career. Mm -hmm. but, I, but I do feel like what he was very good at was he had visionary leadership. You know, to be a visionary leader, he always would talk about, you know, how you have to zoom in and zoom out and being able to kind of really look at a situation, quickly try to decode but then really get back out of that and then keep a bigger vision of what's really happening. And, and a lot of people get lost in that translation process of they either get stuck in zoom in process or, or when they're trying to zoom out, they get stuck somewhere in that process and never make it back out. And, you know, that to me is one of the things when you're looking for untapped leaders is trying to find people who can, who can do that, right. Who can speak about, topics that either they're passionate about or they're in their individual business or even things outside of it and see if they can actually show you that shifting, you know, and how that works. Mm -hmm. And, and for you as an individual, if that's what you want to think about, like you have to think about it. We have to think about the micro economics of things and then the macro and see like, how does this impact the industry? How can I connect dots? That's the second phase of this is connecting the dots. You know, when you're, when you had a chance to zoom out, then it allows you to see all the dots. And it allows you then to say, oh, if I go do this and connect this, then boom, I have the answer. And I feel like that's one of the things that has been very key to the success with Culture Genesis between Sean and myself. We do a lot of, we do it a lot. We, we really do zoom in and zoom out a lot. It's good to me when you're doing a startup, specifically startup, to have a partner. It, you know, sometimes I think one is very difficult. Three is too many. Two is usually just enough, right? And even two will have sometimes conflict. You know, that's the part of life. In a good marriage or a good partnership, you have sometimes where you have a conflict. But communication and trying to, you know, humility are ways you can get past, you know, those conflicts then when they come when they occur. But that conflict also is when two swords are clinging, you have sparks. And when you light a fire, then it's like you get, you know, what you're looking for sometimes. And so I would say in really thinking about this whole thing, it's really about, you know, zooming in, zooming out, connecting dots, finding good partners um, that can really help you. Because it's so difficult. When anyone asks me about what we're doing, I always make sure to kind of throw Sean's name out there because I wouldn't have done it on my own. I wouldn't have been able to do this on my own. It just would, I would not have done it on my own. And I think it's very important that people know um, that piece. And, and then the last thing, for me, it's just to know that this is a marathon and not a sprint. If you go into any of this entrepreneurship game, you got to know that you're signing yourself up for a long period of time and you're taking your friends and family along with you. And because if you don't, you're really going to be in bad shape. You got to take your friends and family along with you. 
because they're the fuel. I said this before, recently in another interview. They're just the fuel to help keep you going. You know, your friends and family and your faith. You know, whatever that may be, bringing that along with you to keep you centered and grounded. That's the main way to really see it through. Because if you don't have those things, I think you'll find yourself lost. I know I would have. And I think that's kind of the epitome of what people should be looking at and thinking about as they think about whether it be entrepreneurship or just leadership in general. Absolutely. Absolutely. One last question for you. What's your big ambition for this year? What is uh, on deck for Culture Genesis? All deaf, you, like, there's a lot happening. What's what's the big ambition for this year? Well, we got a lot of those. <laughs> so <laughs> I would first say, you know, this is the 10-year anniversary of All Deaf. And so we want to celebrate the brand, all the creators that have been a part of the success of All Deaf. And if you really want to do that, I want, I want to make sure I see that that's a big initiative for us. We're going to got some cool things coming we're going to be doing with them. Then beyond that, there's a seismic shift happening in media in general, right? A lot of things are moving from broadcast TV and are moving away from cable TV. You know, going to streaming apps. Everyone's looking at things on Hulu, Netflix, and YouTube. And so I think with that, there's, I think, some great partnerships I'm, I'm looking forward to us to build and then, you know, ultimately, we have a lofty goal of trying to 2x the revenue we had from last year. But I do feel like we're going to meet or exceed that number. So I'm excited for that and just the challenge of trying to do that. And so those are all the business kind of opportunities I think we have. I want to see if there's anything else I missed. I don't think there's anything else. I just think continue to scale. We have this great opportunity to really, even though it's unfortunately, you know, a challenging economy. We have a chance, though, during this period of time to really continue to grow and push ourselves this year and then really have an even even better year next year. So I'm really excited about that. Personally, I got me a girlfriend now, Jenny, so I'm trying to worry about see if I can make that into something, you know. I got to catch up to you, Sean. I got to have me a family and some kids. So, you know, that's the closing what <laughs> I'm working on on the personal side of life. But uh, other than that, yeah, that's that's it. That's it. You know, I think... Um, I, I brought that up in, in, in jest only because I did spend so much time not thinking about so much of the the personal side of life and and put some of that on, on pause for a minute. And I think, you know, it's important for people to, to have balance, including myself in those areas of life, because it, uh, it, it it's it what keeps you going. Yeah. Yeah. We're whole humans. Yeah. There's other, so many parts of us. So I appreciate you naming that and congratulations to um, this point of this journey, the success. I know I've seen the almost literal blood, sweat and tears in, in this process, but the impact I think is so, again, visionary, monumental. It's important work and kudos to, to you, to, to all the whole team. How do listeners stay in touch and kind of follow along with you, with All Deaf, with Culture Genesis, anything you want to plug? Yeah, we got a, we got a lot of ways to find us. First, for me personally, all, all of ways to find me, whether it be on LinkedIn or Instagram or Facebook, anywhere you want to go, I, I make it very simple. It's my first name, middle initial, last name. So it's Cedric J. Rogers. And you put that in, you'll find me anywhere. So I tried to make that easy for anyone that wants to hear from me. And then as far as Culture Genesis, it's very the same way. It's just the name of the company, Culture Genesis. You can find us on every platform. 
Most importantly, we're, we're about the brands, not really about the Coach Genesis brand, but more about the brands that we either own or we support. And so we have so many wonderful creators. Would love for you all to come see them all on All Deaf is the, the channel. Uh, what we have on YouTube, Facebook, Instagram, everywhere you can look, we'll, you'll find that brand. Come watch our content and support our creators. So yeah, that's that's it for me. Awesome. Well, thank you, Cedric. Thank you for sharing your story, your journey, the ups and downs, all aspects of it, the realities. And I appreciate all of you that you contribute to this world. Thank you for joining. And I thank you, Jenny, for being a wonderful partner to my partner and <laughs> keep us going. It's been a pleasure to be on this and I've really enjoyed it and I hope everyone gets a little something from it. So thank you.